0: Good afternoon, open your Bibles with me if you would to 1st Peter chapter 2, we've now entered into the second chapter of 1st Peter. This morning, or this afternoon, we want to address a topic that I think is central to Peter's uh, argument in the letter of 1st Peter, and so I'm excited about this message. As I think about humanity, one of the things I recognize about humans is that we love food, is that accurate? Um, and maybe it's just me, but I've got a feeling that, uh, that, is, that I'm not alone in that. And there are remembrances that sometimes strike us as an incredible eating opportunity. And there are two, two places that if you offered me a plane ride tomorrow to go to so that I could get some food I automatically, right now, I know exactly where I would go. The two places are Philadelphia and Kansas City. So some of you may know what I want in Philadelphia. What might that be? Oh, a Philly cheesesteak. And if you've ever had a Subway Philly cheesesteak, you've never had a cheesesteak. Let me just tell you. A cheesesteak is made specifically in Philadelphia with... Specific types of bread, specific types of cheese. In fact, when we lived in Wisconsin, there actually was a guy who had come from Philadelphia, and he would actually order bread from Philadelphia to be tra- transferred so that he could make the legitimate thing. Oh, what a blessing that was. What a glorious thing. You know, if you ever watch YouTube and you, you Google uh, Philly cheesesteak in Philly, you're going to hear about Pats and Geno's. Don't be sucked into that. There's a place called Mama's, and this is where you want to go. Mama's is in, and my clicker's not working, I don't know, maybe we're not clicked onto it. Oh, there we go. Mama's cheesesteak is there on the left. I think it's your left as well as mine, and it's a whole pound of meat. And cheese, it's a proprietary blend of cheese. They, they don't just take the provolone off the shelf. They've got their own, and it is incredible. It is to die for, and you very well may die for it. <laughs> but it's incredible. Mama's cheesesteak, that's in Philadelphia. And then on the right there is by far my favorite sandwich. It's called the Z-Man sandwich. And the only place you can get this is a place in Kansas City, and it's a gas station. And you think, well, why would you go into a gas station? But you know that there's something different about this gas station because literally there is a 45-minute wait almost no matter what time you come during lunch or dinner. Uh, People are standing outside around the the gas station waiting for the Z-Man sandwich. I have experienced that Z-Man sandwich, and it is that sort of meal. If you've ever been asked the question, what is that thing that you if you had one more meal on this earth, what would it be? Right after my wife's cooking, it would be the Z-Man sandwich, all right? Uh, now, uh, this sandwich is just incredible, and I've had it before, and I long for it. And by the way, I should have apologized immediately, because I realized that we're really close to the dinner hour. Uh, but we do have some ice cream afterwards, so hopefully that, that helps a little bit. Peter here in this text is going to be using a metaphor of taste. He's going to be quoting an Old Testament passage that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But he's going, to, he's going to work this into the metaphor that he's been developing already. And that is the metaphor of new birth. In fact, the language here in 1 Peter chapter 2 mentions milk. So let's read the text together. And then we'll ask the question what he means by this particular metaphor. Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter here uses this analogy. He he tells us, he commands us to long after the pure spiritual milk. What exactly is this milk, though? In the text, he actually doesn't tell us. He doesn't explicitly indicate, this is what I mean by this metaphor. Now, if you've been following with me through 1 Peter up to this point, you know Peter loves metaphors. He just loves these things, And, and we've seen quite a number of them. He uses the metaphor of the new birth, getting that directly from Jesus. He uses the metaphor of exiles and foreigners. He uses the metaphor of girding up the loins of our minds. Remember, we talked about that as rolling up the sleeves of our intellect. He talks about being sober in a metaphorical way. And then just recently in 122 to 25, he used the metaphor that the word of God is like a seed planted in the heart that brings forth a new life. He loves metaphors. Now he introduces one more metaphor. He says, here's what you should do. You should long for the pure spiritual milk. Now you'll notice that the ESV, as well as many other translations, translate this as pure spiritual milk. Now why do they use the word spiritual here? And the reason they use the word spiritual here is because the word that underlies the word spiritual only occurs twice in the entire New Testament. In fact, in all of biblical literature, it only occurs twice. And if you know anything about words, it's really hard to define a word that only occurs twice. What does somebody mean by it? And of course, it would be very nice to just call Peter and say, Hey, Peter, what did you mean by that word? We don't have access to Peter in that way. So we've got to determine by the text what it means. The only other passage in which this occurs is given to us in Romans chapter 12, actually a passage you probably know. Here's what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's the word, your spiritual worship. Because of the use of Romans 12.1, most people have come over to 1 Peter and suggested that the right translation is spiritual I'm actually going to argue that it should be translated differently. If I could, and and I probably should have put this up there, if I could have shown you the word that's in the Greek, it's, and and I'm not trying to introduce you to Greek here, but just listen to it because you hear it, logikos. It sounds very similar to our word for logos or reason, reason, logic, right? You, You hear that logikos, logic in it and when we look through greek literature one of the things we find is that that word sometimes is merely used of things that pertain to literature something that's word based and i think that's the right translation for it in first peter not in romans 12 but in first peter because i think what peter is saying here is this long for the pure milk of the word and that's a bit of a weird phrase But what he's doing is he's making an analogy between milk and the Word of God. And he's saying long, essentially, for the Word of God. Now, why do I think that he's referring to the Word? There are a number of reasons I'm going to put up on the screen. But I think that the case is pretty strong. First, notice just what we've walked through in 122 to 25. He says this, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then notice this next part. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Notice then he goes down and he uses this Old Testament passage. He says, the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the very prior passage clearly refers to the Word of God. And so I think this gives credence to the idea that he continues to consider the Word of God. Second, you'll notice that one of the phrases he uses in verse 2 is he says, by this milk you will grow up into salvation. Did you know that that language is used one other time in the New Testament and is given to us in Mark's Gospel? It's given to us in a parable of Jesus. And Jesus says, a sower went forth to sow seed. And what is that seed that the sower sowed? According to Jesus' parable, the seed is the very word of God. And some of the seed fell on uh, fell on rocky soil, others on good soil, and you know the parable. And he says, P- Jesus says in that context, he says, and some of the soil fell on fertile, or some of the seed fell on fertile soil. Soil that was ready for the seed, and it sprouted up. And when he's explaining this to his disciples, he says, and so it is that that the seed planted in their hearts grows up into salvation. Is that not a very similar context in which Peter's just talked about right here? Because remember the previous context, he says, you've been born again by a seed planted in your heart. And this seed was planted. What is the seed? It's the word of God. And so I think that this growing up into salvation is growing up in the very word of God. Third, if I were to ask you this question, I think your answer would be the word of God. And that is, what is it that makes us grow in our salvation? Now, there could be a couple of answers we might give there. But certainly one of them would be hearing, reading, engaging with the word of God. And finally, ingesting this milk gives us an experience of God. Now, why do I say that? Well, you'll notice in verse 3, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's making analogy here. He's saying, if you have tasted the word, then you've tasted the Lord. Because the word of God is his word. It is an extension of who he is. So, I think it's quite evident that when Peter says here, long for the pure spiritual milk, what he's telling us is to long for the word of God. One more uh, reference that I think just seals the case for this is given to us in James 1.19. This is a parallel passage in which James is saying something very similar to Peter. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, if you, if you note, look what James is doing. He says, get rid of moral filth. Look over in chapter 2, 1. So put away all malice and, and all this moral filth. And then he says, accept the word planted in you. Long for the pure spiritual milk, which can save you, that it might grow up into salvation. So James 1.19, I think is a parallel passage, indicates to us that the word of God is the very means by which God grows us in salvation. So the command is this, long for the pure milk of the word. So if that's Peter's command, the questions that we need to ask of the passage is this, if Peter's telling us to long for the milk, why should we? Why should we? How can we? And then the third question I want us to think about is, why don't we? So why should we? How can we? And why don't we? So let's begin with the first question. Why should we? Why long for this milk? And Peter tells us, long for it because it is pure. Long for the pure milk of the word. One of the most frightening things that happened during the COVID crisis, you may be aware of, is that not only was there a shortage of formula, baby formula, but during the midst of the, the pandemic, there was a huge recall of formula. Anybody remember this? And numerous uh, numerous companies, probably all the same company that rebranded their things, they had to call back all of this baby formula because they said it may have salmonella in it. Well, that is rather disconcerting, is it not? If you are a mother and you're feeding your baby and someone says, ah, oh, that might have salmonella in it, but go ahead. You say, no, thank you. I want pure, unadulterated food for my child because I know. That what I put into this child will affect its growth. Do you know what Peter's telling us here? He's saying the same thing about the word of God. The word of God is that which is pure. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Aren't we all glad that we're not? (laughs) And yet there is truth in that, is there not? If you eat an incredibly unhealthy diet, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel unhealthy. It, it affects the way that you operate. It just, it, your, your body fights against it. it. It isn't the purest of things. You change your diet and you begin to feel better. You know, there's a truth about this that Peter is making analogy to our lives. And that's this, that what you ingest mentally... What you let in your eye and ear gate affects your soul. And maybe you're going to say, hey, we invited this old fundamentalist preacher up here, but I really do think that you should care about the television shows you watch. You should care about the movies that you partake of, the radio stations that you listen to, And I'm not going to get into any specifics and tell you what what you should and shouldn't do because that's not not what I'm supposed to be here doing. But I am supposed to be here doing because I think this is what Peter's doing is saying this, that you ought to guard your hearts because we are formed by what we hear, what we see. Uh, do Do you want to see evidence of this? Get two people, one person, who watches Fox News all day long. Get another person who watches CNN News all day long and say, talk about modern issues and let's see how much you can agree. How much will they agree? Zero. Almost zero. Almost zero. Because those who almost get all of their data from one, from one side or the other, and I'm not turning this into a political speech, so I'm, I'm just... I'm. Introducing us to the concept that what you listen to, what you tune your attention to, forms and shapes the way you think. It shapes what you do. And here's what Peter's saying long for this drink, this word of God that is pure. Can we ingest too much of God's word? That's like saying, can you eat too many vegetables? I don't, I, well, I mean, I think the answer is yes, but <laughs> um, there's a sense in which you need the good stuff and the word is the good stuff. I, and again, you're not hearing me say, never turn the TV on, go home and destroy your TVs. Um, you know, make sure to rip that radio right out of there. I, I wouldn't say that at all. We need to be in the world, right? Right but not of it. But part of that means that we've got to engage with the world. But we ought to be very careful. Our hearts are fragile. Your heart is fragile. My heart is fragile. And I can be shaped by the things that I tune my heart towards. And Peter here says, look for the pure spiritual milk because you are what you eat. This changes you. The second thing I would say Why long for the word? Is because the second point is by it we grow into salvation. And I think this is intricately connected to the previous point. How will we obtain growth? Growth comes when we eat healthy foods. And we'll grow best when we're eating those things that are designed for us. The word of God is designed for you. You were made to hear God's words. And unfortunately, you know what sin has done in our hearts? It has produced a craving in us for the things that are unhealthy. And maybe I'll just speak for myself, but I know there's a craving in my heart for things that I should not have. And I have to fight against that temptation. And there are times where I have to eat my greens, even when I don't feel like eating my greens. And in the same way, engaging with the word of God. But you see, the reason that I ought to do this is not only because it's pure, but it is, in fact, the thing that will make me grow up into salvation. I think we mentioned earlier, Peter uses the analogy, I think he's getting it from Jesus, that we grow up. We're being watered by the word so that we grow up into the salvation. But I think there's a second layer of this, because we already talked about how Peter addresses us as saints. We are already holy people because God has redeemed us. He's made us new. So this growing up into salvation sort of in my mind reminds me of one of the things that periodically happens in my own home. And maybe if you've got young kids, you've seen this as well. Every once in a while, my daughters will come around and they will be wearing my shoes. Have your kids ever done this? They stick their feet into your shoes. Now, of course, I've got all daughters, and they're quite a bit smaller than me. And so it's quite comedic to see them walking around in my shoes. In some ways, what God has done in saving us is put us in new shoes. And there's some comedic element to it because they don't quite fit yet. We haven't grown up into salvation. We need to grow. We need to mature. We need to continue developing along the line that God has established for us. There's a pattern. There's a genetic pattern brought into our life of the new birth. And we are to grow, grow, grow. And to the degree that we are getting the nutritious elements we need from the word of God, we will grow. So Peter says, long for the word because it's the pure stuff. Long for it, because this is how you grow up into salvation, into the salvation that you've already been granted. He's not saying, get this, he's not saying, read the word, get, digest it, because by means of this, you then maybe one day can be saved. I think what he's saying is, you grow up in your salvation. You've already been saved. So how do you grow in that? Peter says, here's how you do it. You long for For the word of God. So, why should we long for the word? Because it's pure and because it's that which makes us grow into salvation. But the next question is, how should we long for the milk? And I've got this picture up here for some of you. uh, This is invoking nightmares from perhaps even last night. As you think of a little baby crying out for milk. Is this not a universal human experience of those who have been given the blessing of a child? Periodically, we'll have a uh, seminary student at the, at the seminary, and uh, he will have a child in the midst of the semester. And this, ch- and, the, and this student, who had been coming to class all cheery-eyed and looked refreshed a week after, is raggedy, you know, barely getting his clothes on as he's coming to seminary. Papers are late. everything's going poorly, and you say, "So how's it going?" It's going all right, <laughs> you know. We're just barely making it. Why? Because their infant wakes up 18 times a night, longing for the milk. Peter has given us a ready-made illustration of how we should long for the milk. He says here, long for it like a newborn infant longs for milk. Why does that newborn infant long for milk? Because it's hardwired within them that they need this nutritious element. They know it deep down. They couldn't tell it to you. They couldn't use words to communicate it, but they can use their cry. And they cry out longing for the the, the milk. And what is going to stop that child from crying? The milk. Nothing else. Daddy's not going to help unless he's got the formula. This child needs the milk. And in the same way, Peter's u- using this analogy and he's saying, long for the pure spiritual milk like the infant longs for milk. Pursue it until you receive it, because this is what makes you grow up into salvation. It's interesting that not only Peter, but also Job gives us somewhat this illustration. You remember the story of Job. Job has lost so much, and yet he says in the midst of his meanderings about what suffering he's going through, he says, my feet have closely followed his steps. He's talking about God here. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured, notice this, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Do you get the comparison Job is making? He's saying, if I had to make a choice between my daily bread, the food, That I need for today. And the word of God. I have consistently made the choice that I need the word. And this strikes me deeply. Because I'm the type of guy who doesn't tend to skip a meal. I've heard of people that skip lunch and and they say, oh, I skipped lunch. I didn't even notice it. No, no, not the case. I know when I've skipped lunch. And in the same way, Job, as he says here. I held in more esteem your words than my daily food suggests to us that he's putting a priority of God's word even over something that is necessary for his sustenance because he sees that his soul needs the word of God just as his body needs his daily bread. Now, the question we might ask is how can we take in the word? So let's agree I need the Word of God because it's the pure Word of God and because it's what makes me grow up into salvation. How then might I intake the Word? And this is an interesting question, isn't it? I think the immediate answer that we normally would give is this. Read the Word. Read the Bible every day. And you're not going to hear me criticize that. I think that's a fantastic practice and you should partake of it. But you know, Peter's audience couldn't do that. There are two reasons Peter's audience couldn't do that. One, probably at least half of them couldn't read. They couldn't do it even if they had a biblical text. But the second reason is that they don't have a biblical text. When Peter's writing this, how many copies of the book of 1 Peter are there? Just the one that the person's reading to the, to the audience. But even beyond that, even your Old Testament to Peter's audience, how many of them had their own copy of the Old Testament? They didn't. There was a copy in the, in the assembly of God's people at the, at the church. So how then would they intake the word? How would they receive the word? They would memorize it, yes. Yes. They would recount it. They they would recount the things that that they've taken in in their family devotions. But they would come to the assembly of God's people and listen to it. So when we read, long for the pure spiritual milk, I think our immediate response is, okay, what Peter's saying here is, read the word. And I think we need to step back and say, Well, maybe what Peter's saying is expose yourself to the word. Whatever means you might expose yourself to the word with. And I have a a pair of earbuds up there. What a glorious time we live in. Not only do I have access to 472 translations on my phone at any time. I made that number up, by the way. I I don't know how many translations there are. I have numerous translations right there on my phone. Not only that, but you know, sometimes whenever I'm on a drive, I open my Bible app and I click a little audio button. And do you know, while I'm driving, because it's probably not a good idea to read while I drive, somebody reads it to me. And it's a glorious thing. And I'm, I'm driving and I'm hearing the word of God. Uh, we have podcasts. We've got opportunities to hear gifted preachers preach the word there is no limit to the ways in which today we can expose ourselves to the word of God but that's what Peter's saying he's saying by whatever means you can expose yourself to the word so you say I really struggle to read well you know the majority of the world's population throughout all of history and probably even today struggle to read but praise be to the Lord, you're at a time when you can listen to it. So listen to it. Use whatever means necessary to ingest the word. This is the pure word. This is what God will use to continue to transform you into the very image of his son. So how can we? How should we intake the word like infants longing for milk and by any means we possibly can? But the third thing, and this is in Peter's text here, is the question, why don't we take in the word? If we all agree we should take the word in, that would be good. We know it's pure. We know it's what's going to grow us into salvation. Why don't we? And I'm going to suggest there's two reasons in Peter's text that tells us why we very frequently do not get into the word. the first is we've lost our taste for it. And the second, we never truly tasted it. So let's take a look at the first. Um, You'll notice what Peter says here in chapter two, verse one, he says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We haven't talked about that part of the passage yet. That's a part of this passage. He says, now put away all of these antisocial experiences or antisocial attributes. Put them away and then long for the word. So put them away and long for the word. What's the connection between putting away these antisocial experiences, attributes, and longing for the word? Well, if we look at what we talked about last week, do you remember what that text was telling us? It said this, love is the natural response of the purified soul. Do you remember this? That he said, you have obeyed the truth, which led to a purification of your soul, which led to love for the family. So Peter was addressing the people and he's saying, listen, because you've obeyed the truth, your soul is being purified. That is, you've heard the truth, and you're obeying what God's word says, and you're being internally purified, and this leads to love for the family. But there's an impurity that comes through disobedience. So instead of obedience to the truth, we have disobedience to the truth. We're not paying attention to the word that's been delivered to us. It leads to an impurification, not a purification of the soul, but an impurification. We've been feeding our souls wrongly, and we are impure. And this leads to two things, one of which is the antisocial experiences we read in in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Peter's saying. You've abandoned the word. You're not obeying it. And so you're being formed impurely. And so you will not love one another. So you have no desire for the word. Disobedience leads to a lack of desire for the word. I I mentioned just a moment ago that I think we've lost our taste for it. Perhaps I could use this analogy. Have you ever drank orange juice right after you brushed your teeth? If you've made that mistake, how many times have you made that mistake? (laughs) Only once. And the next time you've just brushed your teeth and you walk in and somebody hands you a glass of orange juice, what do you say? Not falling for that one again. I have no taste for that orange juice. Even if you love orange juice, you're going to say, absolutely not. I have no taste for it right now. And I think here's what Peter's saying. Is he saying to the degree that we are led by these sorts of experiences, by malice, which is just a general way of saying antisocial behavior, when we are living in deceit, when we are hypocrites, when we envy one another, when we slander one another, when we are breaking down. The unity of the people of God by these antisocial behaviors, we have no love in us. And we have no love in us because we are not submitting to the word. Submitting to the word purifies our souls, leading us to a love for the word and a love for the people. But if we have no, no love for the word, it's because we have been disobedient to the word. And you say, how do we break ourselves out of such a cycle? I'm glad we asked the question. It's not easy. You've lost the taste for the word. So how are you going to regain the taste for the word? You're going to begin to eat it even when you don't want to. Have you ever experienced this with vegetables? If you have a good diet going and everything's great, and then for a couple of weeks you splurge on everything you want, and then you come back and you try and get back on the good diet, do you enjoy your food anymore? You've lost the taste for it. And the only way to get back on track is to say, I know that right now I don't have much of a desire for this, but I should, and it's good for me, and so I'm going to eat it. And soon what we find is the growth in our hearts once more for that which we should desire. And so I think some might say, you know, I've had a a taste for the word. I've I've desired it in the past, but right now I really don't. Or perhaps they say that these antisocial behaviors are are the characteristics of my life and I would simply say if either of those things are true I think we have not been engaging with the word. And so, engage with the word, listen to it, get into it so that your hearts would be purified, that your love would be stoked. And that you would grow into the salvation that God has destined for you. So, one reason why we don't is I think we've lost our taste for it. But the second reason, perhaps, is that we've never tasted it. Notice the end of verse, or notice the end of the passage we're considering today in verse 3. He says, Long for this pure spiritual milk if, if, Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, for those of you who are familiar with your Old Testament, you know that Peter is actually quoting from Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's an invitation. And it says this, Test the Lord, taste him, obey him, engage with his word, and you see whether the Lord is good. Do you see, I started this message talking about the Z-Man sandwich. And even now my mouth is watering as I consider the Z-Man sandwich. I tasted the Z-Man sandwich. And do you know every time I've been back to Kansas City, guess where you will find me? guess where I was found? At a gas station in Kansas City. Yes, I longed to go back to a gas station in Kansas City because they had the Z-Man sandwich. I tasted it and I saw that, oh, it was good. And do you know what we all need to do? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So my friend, here is what Peter is calling you to to today. He's saying, yes, love one another. Get rid of those antisocial behaviors. But here's what you need to do. Long for the pure spiritual milk. And you say, but I don't long for it. I don't. And Peter says, okay, then taste and see that the Lord is good. Dig into the word. Get into it because what you'll find is that it is good and your appetite will be built up for it. And oh, what blessedness results for those who taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you this week think about some way that you this week could increase your digest of the word of God? It certainly won't be wasted. This pure word will purify your soul and it will make you grow into your salvation. Oh, friends, taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, I thank you that you are indeed good. You've always been good. And those who have put you to the test, who have read your word, who have sought after you, have found that you are good. You are gracious and kind. You are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You will not always chide against us, but you love us enough that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. Oh, Father, there may be some today who do not know you. They have never tasted your word. They do not know your goodness. May we who have tasted your goodness testify to that. Even in the song we're about to sing, May we testify to those who know not your name that you are a good, good Father. Amen.